0: Welcome back to the Sentientism Podcast, a podcast about what's real and what matters. Sentientism answers those two deep questions by committing to using evidence and reason and having compassion for all sentient beings. Uh, This episode is a bonus, a cross-post from the Godless Spellchecker podcast, where I talk to Stephen Knight about sentientism. Uh, We started our conversation there by discussing an incident where I was um, attacked in front of my daughter by a white supremacist gang. Uh, That doesn't have too much to do with sentientism and contains some strong language, so I've left it out of this version. If you'd like to hear that story, uh, and we're both fine, (laughs) you can find it on the Godless spellcheckers feed. Stephen's podcast focuses on atheism, secularism, freedom of belief, and speech. As a fellow vegan, Stephen seems to fit the sentientist mold, although he's hesitant about layering specific ethical commitments on top of naturalism. So I'm never quite sure uh, how he settles with the term sentientism itself. Um, I'd love to know what you think. Why not write a review or give us some stars on your podcast platform? And you can find out more about sentientism at sentientism.info or just search for sentientism on your favorite social media platform. You'll be made welcome in any of our global community groups. They're open to anyone interested, not just
1: sentientists. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Godless Spellchecker Podcast, I'm Stephen Knight, hope you're all good. very pleased to bring you a conversation I recorded with Jamie Woodhouse on the topic of sentientism. In fact, I recorded this episode with Jamie ages ago. Uh, uh, So sorry for the delay, Jamie, it's nothing personal, you did a great job. Uh, It's just a case of things that I recorded after that were more topically relevant uh, to what was going on in the news. Uh, whereas this conversation with Jamie on sentientism is a very good standalone primer on the on the issue. So you'll have to let me know what you think. Let me know what your thoughts are. Uh, you can find Jamie on Twitter to send him some love, send him some feedback at Jamie Woodhouse. He also runs the sentientism account as well. That's at sentientism uh let him know what you think i found this conversation interesting i I mean obviously my default mode is skepticism and i'm especially skeptical of anyone trying to wed other causes uh, and topics to the idea of humanism or atheism and we've seen that crash and burn in the past for good reason and that comes up on this show uh but in terms of the way we look at and approach animals i think there's something there uh, and obviously that naturally speaks to my biases anyway so uh you'll have to let me know what you think uh but make sure you send jamie some love if you would like to support the podcast you can do by visiting gspellchecker.com forward slash support enjoy
2: there's a word
1: Very pleased to welcome Jamie Woodhouse to the GS Podcast. Jamie, welcome.
2: It's great to be here.
1: Good stuff. How are you feeling?
2: Yeah, good actually. Good. Productive day. So, uh, can't complain at all.
1: There you go. Maybe you could give me uh, the broadest definition you can of what you mean by sentientism. How does that? I mean, how does that work and how, how is it wed, in your view, to the concept of humanism?
2: Yeah, so I, I guess the one line summary is it's a, if you like, it's a moral philosophy that commits to evidence and reason and it grants moral consideration to everything that's sentient. So that's it in a sentence. So, to, But to break that down a little bit, it might be useful to sort of explain how I how I came to it. Um, through atheism and then through humanism and then to sentientism. And that sort of helps us think through what, the, what those different components are. Um, so I guess, you know, an atheist starts fairly simply as just the absence of a belief in in a deity or a god. And you could extend that to having you know an absence of belief in anything supernatural and therefore a more naturalistic philosophy. Um, but that starts while it's quite clear about, you know, how I choose what to believe in doesn't really say anything about morality or ethics. It doesn't really say much about, you know, what you should or shouldn't do. Um, That then leads you onto humanism. And I guess that's my personal journey. That's where I went next was looking at humanism and particularly the sort of modern secular interpretation of humanism, which again is naturalistic. It's committed to evidence and reason, uh, you know, scientific worldview and critical thinking, but then it grants compassion or moral consideration to all humans on the basis that, you know, we have as a species, we're aware we're all we're all able, uh, uh, can, we have the capacity to suffer and, and so on and so forth. So humanism then takes that next step, adds a moral stance on top of the naturalistic view that doesn't require any supernatural input or any deity to tell you what good and bad is. You can build that from reality. Um, so I, I, I guess I've been a humanist for a long while. I've been a member of um, Humanist UK, uh, and have quite often felt frustrated that people don't more often turn to humanism to address some of the uh, prevalent problems of the day. Um, because to my mind, it, it feels like um, if you look at many of the problems we're facing, if you dig down, what sits underneath that is people forming beliefs that aren't based on evidence and reason, or deciding to be very selective about uh, their compassion, so they might pick a particular group or a gender or a religion or a nationality and um, and class one group of humans as the other and discriminate against them in some way. So I've often, I've been a fan of humanism as a stance that helps constructively address a lot of those problems without breaking down to the sometimes fragmentation of you know an identity politics approach. But there's a limitation to humanism At least as most humanists think of it which is it's focused just on one species and and i think most people intuitively would agree with me that um humans aren't the only things that deserve some sort of compassion or moral consideration Um, and maybe we need to think a little bit wider so what sentientism does it says look let's forget about species let's think about what's the characteristic of anything that means we should care about it morally and what it zeroes in on is sentience which in simple terms primarily is the capacity to have a subjective experience of something um so you know the ability to experience suffering or to experience well-being or flourishing anything that's qualitatively good or bad and it says for any being that you can determine is sentient we should give moral consideration to that thing show it compassion and in very practical terms just you know, try to avoid harming it or killing it unless there's a you know very strong overwhelming reason so hopefully that gives you sort of a one sentence and then a and then a build up through atheism and humanism
1: yeah i mean i find that that path fairly logical and it certainly resonated with me. I suppose once you accept that there's no divine um, presence that's giving humankind dominion over animals and then once you accept a sort of the Darwinian evolutionary outlook and you realise that we're not different animal we mean we are animals in a sense and uh, it kind of logically leads to approaching them in a way that involves more compassion and more consideration and, and wanting to minimize suffering. And I, I gave up meat a long time ago on this mm. this realization. But I've been um, consistently frustrated with the lack of interest in in sort of lefty sceptical circles around this issue of animal consumption. And I, I kind of understand, I kind of get it because I was there at one point too. I I I, I, I was a good person when I ate meat. I don't think people who, who eat meat um, are bad people. I just think maybe they're yeah. not entirely aware in the nicest possible way of the process of, you know, agriculture, factory farming, things like that. Got That goes into the meat-based process. And I often find a lot of justifications for continuing to eat meat do t- tend to map onto a lot of old religious arguments I used to hear as well. So, I mean, I suppose my first question is, I can hear my listeners turning this off already because it's one of them <laughs> devices topics and I, I never want to frame it in the sense of finger wagging or telling someone they're doing something wrong. So, so how do we approach this conversation in, in a better way that can help people understand where we're coming from a bit more?
2: It is tricky because um, as, as you as you jump into the sort of vegan agenda, there is a sense of... Moral superiority of preaching, of um, looking down on people on, on other people that haven't yet reached those you know dizzy ethical heights, um, and and maybe and sometimes a, a sort of purity and and um, uh, that can give people the impression that veganism almost feels like a religion in its own right. Yeah. And I'm not sure setting that tone really helps to persuade people. Uh, it isn't necessarily that conducive. Um, at the same time, I I do understand why even you know righteous preachy vegans you know there's so much emotion in their um in their approach and in their campaigns because these are you know critically important moral moral issues you know akin to any of the great um human rights advances that that we've made over the last centuries you know people fighting for animal rights see their fight in exactly that context um but at the same time, practically, as you say, it can put, put a lot of people off. So that's partly why I quite like the idea of starting from the other end of the scale, starting from a naturalistic worldview, showing how that leads you into a moral stance that um, uh, uh, you know applies certainly across humanity, and then using exactly that commitment to evidence and reason to um, drive the logic that if we care about humans because they're able to suffer, um, you know, there are other things that we should uh, care about too, so I'm hoping that's just a different path into uh, the topic that feels a little less contentious. Allows people to come along with it. It's grounded in um, a naturalistic approach. It's grounded in evidence and reason. You know, it doesn't require some sort of uh, supernatural leap of leap of faith to get to the start. But in the end, you know, it does end up in a similar sort of space, right? Because if we do grant moral consideration to sentient beings and nearly all the animals we farm, you know, certainly are sentient. It does imply, you know, you'd you'd support a policy that transitions to completely end animal farming. Um, so you may get to the same, you know, set of actions or same set of policies if you want to think institutionally. But hopefully, it's just a different way into the topic that is feels a little less contentious, a little less pushy. And your point about, you know, the moral supremacy tone is absolutely right. I, you know, I can get a little bit preachy sometimes, but, you know, I, I ate meat and dairy for twenty five years. I was a vegetarian for another. Um, another 20 or so so um you know i don't have to look back too far in my own personal history before i was you know exactly thinking that way and i wasn't a bad person then either
1: yeah i mean i was just to put In perspective, I mean, one of the things I will say, which I think people probably aren't aware of is I think, and I was once with this frame of mind, people assume that when um, animals suffer in this process, it's because something's gone wrong in the system, something hasn't been followed that should be followed, there's been a breach of protocol. And my reasoning on this is... Animals suffering is the process and is yeah. the norm. Uh, and it's, it's difficult to get that message across to people, really, without showing them horrible, gruesome videos of the process yeah. or, you know, recommending yeah. literature. So, I mean, are you of the mind, I mean, some people will try and advocate this idea of an ethical version of animal farming but i haven't seen anything convincing on that scale uh, and yeah. i i have looked as a i'm, I'm almost a self-hating um <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> vegan slash vegetarian because i i really enjoyed uh, animal products I, and even today they'd be it'd be incredibly more convenient for me in terms of arranging meals and especially when traveling and things like that if i still had meat so do you think there is a, an ethical alternative to the factory farming system not really no No, i'm of the same mind i've looked really hard in
2: essence you, you could you could imagine a situation where you know an animal is allowed to live a full life rather than it be cut short um and it's you know gently euthanized in its old age under an anesthetic um uh so maybe you could craft some some form way shape or form but ultimately you're still ceasing a sentient life you know against its will before you know before it would want it to happen um so the short answer is no. I guess the more practical answer, and there, this is where there is some real common ground between people who eat meat and dairy and, and, and vegans, is that almost everybody dislikes factory farming. So yeah. there's an interesting um, surveys done recently in the US by the Sentience Institute, um, who surveyed um, US adults and it found nearly, I think it was almost half people, it's like 49% of people would support a ban on all of factory farming. Um, So there's some really strong common ground there. The dissonance comes in, in that when you talk to most people, they will say, uh, you know, they get meat and dairy from ethical sources and, you know, they never buy factory farmed products. Uh, But actually between 90 and 99 percent of all animal products are factory farmed. So there's a disconnect there. So even if there was an ethical way of doing this, and I don't think there is, the reality today is that the vast majority, and we're talking about well over a hundred billion animals a year, go through a factory farming process, yeah. um, which which even most meat and dairy eaters would be absolutely horrified by. And there's there is interesting parallels between the, you know, the religious story and, and um, animal products. In the you know, in the same way as the more you know about religions, the more likely you are to become an atheist. The more you know about the reality of animal farming, the more likely you are to become a vegan.
1: Yeah, ignorance is definitely bliss. It, in it this topic is, it certainly is <laughs> um, one thing i find striking about this this uh whole topic then i mean even even just moving moving away from the uh animal welfare aspects of it and the ethical implications one of the biggest hot topics on any lefty liberal agenda right now is climate change yes and i find that doesn't matter how passionate or um a self-identifying environmentalist, but, you know, bang the drum about this topic. Whenever you mention... The topic of meat consumption and how that factors in, and how that's one of the largest, if not one, of, you know, if not the largest contributor to yes. CO2 emissions and things like that. They, it's not even on their agenda. It's not even registered. So what? What's going on there? Where we have well, we have a topic where you think, well, this this is the thing that's going to put animal welfare and agriculture and factory farming straight on the agenda because everyone's talking about climate change right now.
2: It's shifting things slightly, but I, I think you're right. There's a massive taboo about it. So so well, you know, veganism. Can- Feel a bit like a, a religion in its own right. When people get a bit preachy, it's actually the other way around. So, so you know, the consumption of meat and dairy and animal products is is, is very much religious. It's so deeply baked into our societies, to our traditions, to some extent, some of our religious practices um, that there's a massive taboo about even considering the option of, um, of of finding a different way. And as you say, you know, the, the science on this still needs a lot more work. But rough indications are that. It, animal agriculture does cause more emissions, um, has more of a water use and more of a land use impact than you know all of transport put together. Um, so even if you just took an unemotional stance, you you did not care at all about animal suffering or animal ethics, there would be a purely environmental reason to you know hit animal agriculture as the number one item as any serious environmentalist. But the taboo is so deep that it doesn't happen. So you will hear. Um, I listened to you know, a, a great podcast recently by the Future of Life Institute. They do a series called Not Cool. And one of their episodes recently was done by one of, uh, an interview with one of the UN climate science scientists. And in the entire podcast interview, animal agriculture wasn't mentioned once as a potential cause, despite it being the largest. And it wasn't mentioned in the list of what can I do as an individual, even though it's the simplest and easiest and most immediate, most impactful thing anyone
1: can do. So it's akin to omitting cigarette smoke when talking about lung cancer isn't it not pointing to that as a possible cause that's how it feels to me
2: it is at that level it's something that cannot be you know that people are so nervous of the tension around the debate they won't even recognize it as a source But but the evidence is building up and there's been some great reports about on it if you look at the ipcc um study. Uh, Nick Carter just wrote a great piece on this in Sentient Media. It, it is an additional pressure, but again, I find it bizarre uh, You know how rare it is to find very serious environmentalists actually hitting this issue head on, because I think the environmental argument is sufficient to um, justify a complete end of animal farming, even with no consideration for the animal ethics
1: Issues at all. Yeah. I mean I suppose obviously we can't expect such vast cultural change overnight. And progression yes. is still promising. It you know, it's a it's a hugely growing market and awareness is shifting all the time, which is a good thing. I mean circling back to the idea of religions though, I mean I I kind of I kind of agree with you on this idea, and how you can probably get to it from you know in a straight line from atheism, logical thinking, humanism, things like that. But I mean, I suppose there have been rather misguided attempts in the past to try and wed atheism or humanism to certain ideology. I don't know if you remember the non-starter that was Atheism Plus. Um, I mean, it'd be better to forget if possible (laughs) but I mean, they tried to wed some ultra-pure, woke, social justice, identity politics type ideology to atheism and people get very protective of atheism and humanism and not wanting to project it as some sort of religious ideology or faith-based belief system and I was just wondering if you've got anything you can say that can allay people's fears on that front i
2: can i think there's two two things i'm trying to do with sentientism i guess one thing i should mention is you know i didn't make this term up i don't i don't own it it, it actually came out of the animal rights movement in the 1970s and uh, and following decades developed by people like Peter singer and richard Ryder that some of your listen, listeners would have heard of um and in a way it was always quite a naturalistic philosophy but it wasn't explicitly so so all i'm doing it doing really is taking that philosophy that focused on sentience as the defining moral characteristic and making it explicitly a naturalistic philosophy that extends humanism, if that makes sense. So uh, you know I should make that clear. I'm yeah, standing on very much standing on the shoulders of those those giants. Um, but I guess what I'm trying to do with this recasting is firstly, I'm very much a sort of common sense philosopher. I'm not an academic. I'm not interested in, you know, wasting my life in abstruse technical semantics or crazy sort of trolley problem trade-offs that um, you know will never happen in real life. I think it's much more interesting just to s- set a very, very simple, potentially unifying moral baseline um, that then leaves plenty of debate about trade-offs and priorities and, you know, who do we care more about? Um, in a sense, I don't want sentientism to get stuck into that stuff. I just want it to be commitment to evidence and reason, granting moral consideration to everything that's sentient, and that's it there's loads of interesting discussions to have, but, you know, let's not detract from the value of getting people to that simple baseline, but we're not trying to solve all all problems. Um, I guess the other thing I'd say, because as you mentioned, the sort of woke culture identity politics approach, um, you know, the the identity politics approach can be useful in in identifying problems, but I think it struggles to find sensible solutions because, it tends to set groups against each other, it tends to make it hard to cooperate because the view of one group isn't seen as valid in even acknowledging the experience of another. So I find identity politics might be useful in the diagnosis, but actually what we need to move forward is to find things we have in common. And humanism plays an important role in that in that it says, look, we're all humans, black, white, you know, male, female, trans, you know, we're all humans. We can all suffer. We all deserve compassion let's go from there. And it gives you a much more constructive, you know, common approach to solving those problems. And sentientism does the same. It just extends the arm a little bit further to, to sentient animals and potentially even other, other types of sentient things. So but I think it is a more constructive approach to many of those problems instead of trying to micro-define you know, an advanced morality that addresses every problem. It just sets a simple baseline that all sentient things could come together around. That's the hope.
1: Do you think uh, humanism's politically neutral or should it be? I mean I, I this is I suppose this is geared more towards certain humanistic groups in America which I find tend to have quite overt political leanings which I think can be off-putting to a few people. But I'm just wondering does it does humanism have a political bias?
2: I think it can do. And I and um and some of that may be unavoidable and some of it may be maybe natural you know there may be certain things where uh, you know, application of evidence, reason, and a uh, universal compassion might take you down one direction or other. Um, but I think it's dangerous to push that too far, too firmly one way or the other. I think you could quite, you could, you could quite easily be, you know, uh, someone who calls themselves a sentientist and a humanist, but still have more right or left-leaning views on, um, uh, certainly on the economic scale. I think when it comes to the um, social liberalism, you know, there is an inbuilt bias there. Um, that would tend to, be, you know, tend to take people more towards the socially liberal, lib, liberal side. But certainly in, on an economic political scale, I don't see why there should be a particular bias either way. And I think, you know, humanism and sentientism should be, you know, hesitant about. Uh, driving too
1: far down either of those roads it's funny I mean because I, I suppose the further right you go on the scale we've got no chance with this topic because obviously there's a lot that's where you find your climate change deniers and the people who think that yeah, yeah. you know humans have dominion over the animal kingdom so it's, it's it's nearly a lost cause on that end of the political scale but you, you sort of feel that you could probably talk to people in terms that they already um, live in it, on the left in terms of animal consumption what I tend to find recently as well though which might be an issue is because a lot of, I mean, I I count myself on the political left uh, but I am willing to admit there is a lot of lunacy coming from the far left And it can almost be expected on a daily basis now. And I don't think that's the whole left. I think there's just a lot of people with loud voices that have come to represent the left. But one of the pet projects that seems almost exclusively left is climate change. And I think a lot of people are reflexively rejecting that topic now because it's coming from the left and they're not. They're just assuming it's more left identity politics or nonsense. I've seen quite sensible people who are a little bit sceptical on the whole issue. So mm. I, I suppose my question is: Does it does it matter which political sides advancing a point? Is this is this sort of idea of sentientism better coming from a, a left wing perspective or a right wing perspective, or does it not really matter?
2: I don't think it is. I think it's better for it to be neutral um, because I think there are some. Um, areas where a compassionate worldview, if you follow the evidence and reason, could take you to something that's more economically on the right. And in other situations, the facts may lead you to a policy that's traditionally been supported on the left. So I think it is good to start neutrally. I would say that I think, you know, sentientism or humanism probably have a roughly a centrist bias if that center is defined quite broadly, just because if you go really far left and really far right, you tend to end up with politics that subverts the suffering or the well-being of individual sentient humans for some higher cause uh, whether it's the nation or whether it's the workers or whether it's the one-party state and as when you get into those areas you i think there you have moved away from humanism or sentientism because something else has become morally important that isn't about the suffering or the experience of real people and those can end up you know as we all know in dangerous places that start to look very similar on the far right and the far left
1: at the start of the conversation you 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 sort of mentioned this idea that uh, you were surprised that humanism wasn't sought more in certain areas that religion would have typically have filled the gap and I just wondered what sort of areas do you think humanism can be especially useful for in 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 that sense
2: well I think there's some things it does very well so I think it's it's very good at know resisting religious privilege specifically so whether that's in politics or in public life or in representation um and again that agenda is very different in some places you we have a lot of work still to do in the uk you know plenty of work to do in the us and you know breathtaking amounts of work to do in you know saudi arabia and other similar states of course right so there's there's enormous important work that humanism focuses on in um in resisting religious privilege and just arguing for equivalent secular rights for everybody regardless of belief Um, I think it also increasingly, certainly in the UK is doing better at some of the pastoral work, so uh, the prevalence of humanist weddings and uh, humanist pastoral care and uh, in health services, Um, some of those services have still got a lot of development to do but those are really helping uh, people at critical moments in their lives in a way that doesn't rely on uh, you know, supernatural or religious worldview. So I think those are important contributions with with, with much more to do. Um, but, but humanism doesn't tend to go much further than that. Humanism isn't necessarily looking at how can we um, optimize or improve human well-being in general in all sorts of different ways. It's more focused on negating the human privilege and, and providing the right sort of pastoral care. So humanism in itself doesn't necessarily take a stance on climate change or... Um, you know, risk of artificial general intelligence or um, other wider moral moral issues. It tends to focus quite narrowly on that, resisting religious privilege. So I guess that's where I see humanism has. I think it's an enormous force for good as a worldview um, and as a set of campaigns. But it is narrower than I'd like.
1: If I uh, if I remember correctly, just having a few offline discussions leading up to this conversation, I think I seem to remember you telling me that there were a few prominent. Humanists who weren't quite on board with your your ideas yeah, put yeah. forward, and I just wanted what exactly happened there.
2: It, so it's been it, they've all been constructive and positive conversations in a way. But the, the response from humanists, and I still consider myself a humanist, right? I, I still <clears throat> I still qualify. I've just extended my moral circle, you know, another step further. The response um, breaks down into a few different uh, a few different. Uh, uh, Groups, if you like. One which is pretty rare is the, the type of humanists who are deliberately very, very focused on the human species. They want to draw a clean line between humans and any, anything else. They don't ac- acknowledge that we should grant moral consideration outside of that boundary, and it is all about humans. Um, they're, they're fairly rare. The second group um, uh, enthusiastically Love the idea of sentientism, um, and they point to the fact that Humanist UK and the International Humanist and Ethical Union already do, um, you know, at least as a, a, a sort of second-order bullet point, acknowledge some moral concern for other sentient animals in their definitions. And a lot of humanists, I think, much more than the general population, are already just as an indication vegan or vegetarian, which shows that they're taking those um, considerations seriously enough in their life. So those people enthusiastically seize. You know, seize on the idea and say, you know, I love it. It sort of addresses a gap in humanism that I felt nervous about, um, or felt felt wasn't being addressed. Um, and then there's another group who agree with sentientism as a as a stance and as a philosophy. They completely agree that using sentience is the right um, way to decide what things we should care about. But in pragmatic terms, they're nervous about. The sort of losing the branding of humanism, the sort of proud history of what humanism has enabled in our in our progress, and they're nervous about diluting the focus of humanism away from resisting religious privilege, and they're nervous about having a policy stance on animal farming, for example. Yeah, which, I mean
1: it's already a niche. I can't already sort of like yeah. an esoteric interest, isn't it? So it could, you know it might be it might be wise in that sense not to include it in, in humanistic organisations, not for me personally but I think I can sort of see where they're coming from on that one
2: I can too and and, and, in, and in that sense that's that's partly why I'm trying to develop this idea of sentientism because I'm absolutely fine with humanism staying as it is focused on humans but then we need sentientism but you can't really argue don't worry humanism has got this covered so we don't need sentientism but then we're not really going to focus on it right so it, it doesn't need to be addressed. I'd also argue that I think Humanism. I think if you walk out and just talk to a random person on the street, many of them won't really understand what humanism is or its relevance in the modern world. <clears throat> and I think humanist organizations would probably actually open up a new and maybe younger audience if they did actually think much more seriously about um, issues like the environment and animal rights, both of which, um, you know, I think are natural implications of a humanistic worldview. But there's a lot of hesitation in those organizations about about taking those steps.
1: I mean, you mentioned that you didn't coin the term uh, sentences. I mean, who sort of coined the, this term and who's done some uh, accessible writing on it already? So I'm,
2: I'm very much a sort of common sense amateur philosopher on this. And the, the real people who came up with the term originally, uh, uh, Peter Singer, yeah, Richard Ryder, are probably the two people I'd point out. So they're thinking, developed the term as... Um, uh, a moral stance that accorded moral consideration to anything sentient. And as I say, it was, it w- the naturalist part was implied. And I've, I've talked to both of them and they're very comfortable with the way I'm recasting sentientism now as a explicitly naturalistic extension of humanism. Um, but those two, those two are probably the main people I'd focus on. Uh, another um, contemporary academic that's done some great work on this is called Alistair Cochrane, Um So he's um, done a lot of work around sentient rights, and he's even written some fascinating books about how you could take this sentientist approach and even embed it into politics and representation for for sentient animals.
1: Great. I mean, just touching back on what you said earlier about... The status quo of being a meat eater is almost constructed like a, a religion and a, certainly a, a faith-based yeah. ideology. I, I don't know if you're familiar with Melanie Joy, who did yes. a yeah, she did a great book on this called Carnism, which is really quite compelling in in putting the argument forward that it is it is sort of a cultural thing and it is closer to a religion than most of the people listening to this podcast would care to accept. I would imagine. Yes,
2: and I, and this is you know one of the. I guess the some of the frustrating conversations I have, and there are more of these happening all the time. When I talk to someone, you know, randomly selected on the street, I can understand, you know, most people don't have a focus on ethics and morals and clear logical critical thinking. You know, why do they? Most people have got day jobs and normal lives to, to work on. But if you're an individual who is very focused on atheism or humanism as a philosophical philosophical and as a moral set of moral justifications Um, and you've maybe gone on a journey of applying evidence and reason to break down your own religious and supernatural thinking and you're very proud of where you've now ended up you've turned away from um, tradition and culture and what you were told as a kid um, and the supernatural and you followed evidence and reason to uh, you know a well-founded viewpoint if you're very proud of that story and where you've got to now i find it incredibly frustrating that those very same people are trapped by the taboo and the dogma and the tradition of carnism, and uh, seem unable in the face of incontrovertible evidence and reason to shift their views um, when it comes to animal ethics and there is a direct parallel and a frustrating parallel between you know, their application of evidence and reason in one remit of their thinking and the complete opposite in another um so it almost feels more frustrating um you know with some of the prevalent you know new atheists when they're not able to and and, and leading humanists when they're not able to apply um you know that same mindset in other areas of their life because of those to
1: yeah you've very eloquently summed up exactly how i feel about that situation but jamie this has flown by and i've pretty much touched on everything i wanted to get in and you've given a, a really you know quite clear overview of um the concept is there anything else you wanted to get across at all before i let you get back to your evening
2: well there's probably three quick things one is um i think there are a lot of sentientists out there who've never heard of the term so i'm hoping that you know people out there who do have a naturalistic worldview who do take animal rights seriously this would at least give them a label that you know, may help and, 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 um, you know, a story that sits around it. You know, I think one of your other guests, Ricky Gervais may well, um, you know, fit the mold. So that's one is hopefully it's the very least. It's a useful label for people who already think this way. The second is a little more strange and esoteric and, um, tends to annoy the people who are involved in the sentientism movement who are very focused on human and animal rights. Um, It's very clear that human and animal rights are the focus here because humans and animals exist today and they suffer at enormous scale. Um, But one of the reasons I quite like focusing on sentience as a characteristic, because it does make the philosophy future-proof as well. So when you get into topics like um, artificial general intelligences that potentially at some point, maybe in five years, maybe in 100 years, maybe 500 years, could even become sentient, and this philosophical start prepares us for thinking about how to treat them ethically. Um, and you could argue that, you know, hopefully we'll be able to persuade the artificial general intelligences to be sentientists um, otherwise we might be in trouble. So I like the idea that it's not bound by a species, it's not bound even by a, you know, a substrate, if you like. It, it could apply to anything that's capable of experiencing. Um, and the final thing I'd say is that people find the idea interesting, want to help um, develop it, shape it, it resonates, um, I'm also trying to build some global community a, uh, around it as well on a variety of different forums. So we run a Twitter account, um, the most active dis- discussion site is on facebook there's a private facebook group with people from 53 different countries on it so far uh, we have a subreddit um and various other forums that um people can come and read writing um have debates help shape this thing and ideally raise awareness of it to get more people to know about
1: it brilliant so what's the uh, what is the twitter account then that we can point people towards yes yeah, so the twitter account is just at sentientism and uh, what sort of things can people see posted there? It's
2: it's it's really anything. To, it's it's writing and um, content that relates to the philosophy, um, either in general or things that relate to the animal rights aspect, the application to artificial general intelligence, or the way it can actually influence the improvements to human rights and addressing human problems. So I've done some writing that's tried to say, you know, this may seem like some obvious philosophy, but I've also done some writing around you know, what would the policy implications of sentientism be if we took it really seriously? And some of those um, are somewhat contentious and show that this thing has actually got a pretty sharp edge if you take it all away. Uh, so that's the sort of content you'll see there. My personal Twitter is at Jamie Woodhouse, which is mostly banging on about Brexit at the moment. Um, and then if people just search for the term sentientism, you'll find a Wikipedia entry, you'll find us on the subreddit, you'll find us on um, on the Facebook page and the Facebook group as well. And everybody's welcome to join those groups. You don't have to feel that the term fits um just anyone who's interested in the topic wants to criticize it wants to challenge it wants to tear it down or um, feel it describes the way their philosophy is yeah all welcome to join
1: excellent jamie thank you very much for speaking to me
2: yeah it's a real pleasure it's been great to be
1: on thank you for listening to the godless Spellchecker podcast the podcast is a one-man operation producing my spare time away from my day job and i love making it for you if you enjoy what you hear please consider lending some support The show is entirely listener supported, I don't sell anything, I don't run ads, and uh, given the alternative and unpopular focus of my content, it's very unlikely to find a sponsor. So, there are a number of ways you can support and chip in and and help improve the show and give me more time to produce more content. You can become a patron supporter and pledge a monetary amount per month or per episode by visiting patreon.com forward slash gspellchecker. If you can't lend monetary support right now, don't worry, there's other ways you can help help the podcast too you can share it on your various social media networks or take a moment to leave a review wherever you
0: thanks for listening you're helping to normalize rational compassionate thinking don't forget to subscribe leave us some stars or a review you can visit sentientism.info to find out more and you'd be very welcome in any of our online community groups the biggest is on facebook if you like what we're doing why not tell your friends about us